There's a scene in this book where Mumblecore tells Harry that people only want what's bad for them. And it's ironic, I guess, because that's what this book is. It's pop art. It's candy. It's empty calories. It's what the audience wants, if not what the audience needs. Chapter 17. This chapter is called The Man with Two Faces, and it's the last chapter of the book. So the guy in the last room is Professor Quirrell, and he's made of birds. No, unfortunately, he isn't made of birds, but he is made of Voldemort. And this is a twist, an actual twist, the only one in the entire book. And he's like, yeah, I'm not actually a stumbling, stuttering dotard. I'm a criminal mastermind. And when Snape was trying to kill you, it was actually me. And when Unbossy Girl got you free by setting Snape on fire a little bit, that was because she actually ran into me and knocked me over. I was trying to kill you. And Snape was actually trying to save you. Oh, by the way, I'm going to kill you tonight. Sorry about that. But in order to find the stone, I need to look into the mirror of Arised. And Harry's like, but wait, this makes no fucking sense. Snape hates me. And Corel is like, yeah, he does, actually. That part is true. But he doesn't want to kill you. He just harbors a weird probably psychosexual grudge against you based on his experience with your father. And Harry's like, oh, okay, cool. And then Quirrell is like, my master is with me wherever I go. And he looks in the mirror and he sees himself giving the stone to Voldemort. And then Harry's like, but I saw you crying like a baby one time. What's up with that? And Quirrell is like, my master is so confusing. He is a brilliant, beautiful wizard, and I am a weak idiot. And it turns out that Quirrell met Voldy when he was young and he used to think there was good and evil, but Voldy taught him that there wasn't good and evil, just power. So he's like a Nietzschean. He's on like some Foucault shit. And then he's like, there's people who take power. And then there are those who are too weak to seek it and take it. And then he's like, I'm one of the weak ones. So he's actually just like a straight up red pill manosphere fucking dude. He's like, Voldemort is a true alpha and I'm a shitty weak beta cuck. And then he gets super fucking weird. He's like, Sometimes when I'm a bad boy, Voldy punishes me. I'm such a bad boy. Voldy is so strong and powerful, and has such well-defined abs. And so then Harry has this idea that if he looks in the mirror, he'll be able to see where the stone is, because he really wants to find the stone before Quirrell does. And then Quirrell is like, Master, what do I do? How do I find the stone? And then, like, I guess Voldemort's voice answers through Quirrell's voice, and is like, Use the boy! And this is really fucking weird. I didn't think this book could get more perverted than the wand guy being like, I remember the length of everyone's wands, but no, this is weirder. And then Corell is like, Harry, look in this mirror and tell me what you see. And Harry is like, cool, I'll just lie to you. And so then he goes in the mirror and he sees the stone basically just fall right into his pocket. And he's like, oh yeah, I see me winning the Quidditch Cup. And then the Voldemort portion of Corell is like, he lies. And then he's like, yo, just let me talk to him man to man. Let's just rap, you know? He's like, hey, champ. So it's really important that you tell me what you see in the mirror. And then Quirrell, like, takes off his turban. And he has, like, another face on the opposite side of his face. Like, fucking Manny faces from He-Man. And he turns around and he does, like, the Tom Green's backward man dance over to Harry. And he's like, so check it. I'm a weird half-life kind of guy. 
and I can only take the physical form if I share it with someone, but luckily there's no shortage of, of droogs and idiots that I can convince to share my body with me because I am an alpha male supreme, and I bang HB10s on the reg, and remember when you saw me drinking unicorn blood? That was cool as hell. And Harry's like, it was pretty badass. And then Voldy's like, okay, so how about you give me the stone in your pocket, and I can get a real body and take over the world or whatever. And Harry's like, nah. And he's like, okay, cool. Then I'll just kill you like I killed your parents. And Harry's like, nah. And then he's like, son, join forces with me, and together we will rule the galaxy. I am your father. And Harry's like, no. And he falls down the exhaust vent, and Leia and Chewie go and pick him up. What actually happens is that Quirrell tries to grab Harry and his hands get all blistery, and he's like, Master, my hands, my hands, and Voldemort is like, okay, so just kill this dumb kid, and Harry realized that Quirrell couldn't touch Harry's skin without searing pain shooting through his body, and so Harry grabs Quirrell's face, and then they continue to struggle, and Harry sort of blacks out. And then he, like, reaches up and tries to grab the snitch, and it's like, what? Did we just time jump? What is happening? And then he realizes it isn't a snitch, it's a pair of glasses. And then he blinks again, and there is our boy Mumblecore. And he's like, good afternoon, you've been in this here hospital for three days, and everyone knows what happened, except for you and the reader. And Harry's like, well, go on. And Mumblecore explains that he got there just in time to help Harry defeat Quirrell, and then he destroyed the stone. And Harry's like, but won't Nicholas Flamel die? And Mumblecore is like, well, yes, but it's cool, he's cool with it. And then Mumblecore is like, infinite money and infinite life. The two things all humans would want, but humans always choose the things that are worst for them. So take that, neoclassical Chicago school economists. Apparently Mumblecore is like a behavioral economist. He's like the Richard Thaler of Hogwarts or something. Total like nudge dork. And then Harry's like, but isn't this dude that I'm not going to name, isn't he still alive? And Mumblecore is like, say his name. Fear of a name increases fear of a thing itself. And then Harry's like, well, then can I say the N-word? And Mumblecore is like, yes, you can say the N-word. And then Harry's like, can I ask you some questions? And Mumblecore is like, absolutely, ask me anything. Harry's like, okay, so does Voldemort want to kill me? And Mumblecore is like, yeah, don't ask me that. And he's like, when you're ready, you'll know. And then he says that the reason Quirrell couldn't touch Harry is because Harry is basically the embodiment of love. And the only thing Voldemort doesn't understand is love. So Voldemort really is a red pill dude. And then Mumblecore explained that Snape and Harry's father hated each other until Harry's father saved Snape's life. And that's why Snape wanted to save Harry's life so he could like go back to hating Harry's father's memory in peace. Like bro, get over it. And then Mumblecore is like, they hate each other kind of like how you and Dracula Kid hate each other. So I'm guessing that one of those two people, Harry or Dracula Kid, is going to save the other one's life in some later book. And then Harry's like, Mumblecore, I have one more question. And Mumblecore is like, anything at all. And Harry's like, okay, why did you leave me with my sociopathic aunt and uncle? What the fuck were you thinking? You knew I was living in a goddamn cupboard that didn't even clue you in that perhaps maybe things weren't exactly going swimmingly over there? No, he doesn't ask that. He asks Mumblecore, uh, he asks him how he made the stone appear in his pocket. And Mumblecore's like, I made it so that it would go with whoever wanted to find it, but not use it. And Harry's like, oh, okay, why all the insanely elaborate rooms and shit then? Why not just do that and that alone, which would ensure no one who wanted to use it would get it? And Mumblecore's like, you ever hear of a little thing called rising action climax denouement? 
And then he eats one of those every flavor beans, and he's like, normally I stay away from these things because I got a vomit one one time, but what the hell? And then he's like, oh, this one tastes like earwax. Why the fuck do these candies exist? Who eats this shit? And then Mumblecore leaves and is like, see you in book two. And then Ron and Unbasiro come in, and Harry tells them what happens, and they are way too concerned with the death of the 600-year-old dude. And then Umbossy Girl is like, So here's what happened with me. I revived Ron, and then we were about to try to send a letter to Mumblecore, but he was already in the hallway, and Mumblecore was just like, Harry's gone after him, hasn't he? And then they all agree that Mumblecore knew what was going to happen, and he let it happen because he's a negligent fucker, or because he's, like, trying to test them or whatever. So basically, my prediction from the end of last chapter is sort of right. I'm gonna give myself partial credit. I honestly didn't see the Quarrel thing, though, so that was good. The Snape switcheroo was mildly satisfying not really i mean i guess it's better than just snape was the bad guy the whole time which is what i honestly thought it was but the fact that it wasn't was not particularly interesting to me it was just like oh okay it's this other guy that's fine and then ron is like oh by the way slytherin won the house cup thing and harry is like see i told you that shit didn't matter at all and then ron and unbossy girl leave and haggard comes in and he's like it's all my fault i told him about fluffy and nearly killed you I should be made to live life as a dirty, dirty muggle. And he's like, oh, also, I got you a present. And it's a book of photos of Harry's parents. Hagrid, like, sent out a request of all the classmates for photos, and he made a book of them, which is adorable. And then they go to the feast, and everybody thinks Slytherin won, but Mumblecore is like, actually, due to recent events, we have to update the scoreboard. Ron Weasel Guy gets 50 points to Gryffindor for being good at chess and also for getting knocked the fuck out. Next, Unbossy Girl gets 50 points for being good at the LSAT. And next, I give Harry Potter a not-at-all-arbitrary 60 points for being an all-around badass, which puts them in an exact tie with Slytherin. And then Mumblecore is like, but wait, remember the weird sad kid who lost his toad? Let's give him 10 points just for the fuck of it. And everyone's like, fuck yeah, weird sad kid who lost his toad. And so they go to the train station, and they all get dropped off. And that's the end, basically. And then Ron Weasel's mom is there. And then Uncle No-Neck guy is there. And Aunt Longneck lady is there. And Dudley is there. And the whole gang. And Harry's like, so I'm going to have fun this summer with my shitty abusive family because they don't know that I'm not supposed to use magic, which means I'm going to use magic to abuse and torture them. So this book literally ends on this weird note about cycles of violence. But it just acts like it is just this charming thing. Like, Harry is going to be mean to people who were mean to him, and the cycle of violence will continue. Isn't that great? What a nice wrap-up ending. So, obviously this chapter is a real mixed bag. There's some charming stuff, the ending was pretty dumb, and then really dumb. None of the issues that I thought might get resolved do, in fact, get resolved. And Harry ends the book at a point where his growth has gone from kid who gets tortured by an abusive aunt and uncle to kid who's going to try to seek revenge, but in a charming way. I think the issue with Harry's lack of growth is that he started out so ill-defined, and so we don't see any real demonstrable change. Every challenge, he just conquers. Nothing builds. And then, like, even the fact that he defeated Voldemort is not through anything he does. It's just through who he is and who his parents were. And so we're right back to this very aristocratic view of the world, where there are the chosen people, and then the filthy unwashed masses, and the chosen people succeed and conquer because they are good people, and everybody else toils in obscurity. And I guess that gets undercut a little bit when the weird sad kid who lost his toad ends up being the reason that Gryffindor wins the cup. But again, who gives a shit about the cup? And I also feel like none of the themes were particularly well-developed. 
and the worldview of the book didn't do anything to append the sort of damaging ideology that it sets up. I think the last few chapters, like plot-wise, were the best part of the book. Really, if there wasn't so much ideological bullshit surrounding the book, and it was just a book about a wizard kid and his friends dealing with evil wizards and stuff, that would be cool, it'd be fine, it works on that level. But the worldview in which that stuff is situated is really holding the book back. The major character arcs are less like a coming-of-age tale than they are just a process of indoctrination into a system that the characters buy into, despite the overwhelming evidence of the immorality of that system. And this book could have been helpful in showing how that process works, but instead it just celebrates that indoctrination. By the end of the book, the characters learn to love Hogwarts and find it fair and just, even though all available evidence points to the opposite. And the fact that the characters are blind to the sort of inherent injustice in this uh, really deeply, deeply problematizes the notion of escape from an institution. The moral options this book presents are the, it's like this dichotomy where there's either this sort of Judeo-Christian good versus evil, or there's no good versus evil and it's all just sort of a Nietzschean power dynamic and everything is diffused with power, but that second option is seen as like the wrong one, like the belief in that is bad, and it gets pushed into this space of, like, that is the evil outlook in the good versus evil frame. But actually, everything that we know about the machinations of Hogwarts, it is all power, and the task for Harry and the gang should have been to find sources of power that can be used on the side of justice and mutual aid and flourishing, but instead they wholly conform to the power structure, totally buy into it, and learn to love it. Even though it's the thing that is causing both the immiseration and the ability to overcome that immiseration. And the book, like, undercuts itself because the whole thing was basically a setup that Mumblecore knew everything about. And so it wasn't using the master's tools to dismantle the master's house, it was using the master's tools to complete the task that the master set up for you without telling you. And then the why, Harry's internal motivation for even going on this quest, isn't ever explored. We have no reason to believe that there's an underlying moral imperative in Harry's mission here. He just needed to protect the Philosopher's Stone because that's what you do. And so then what we get, what we end up getting, is a Scooby-Doo plot. And maybe that's the worst part of the book. It sets itself up as a story with something interesting to say about pedagogy and the interaction between scholastic institutions and the process of maturation into adulthood and the way that that may heal or mend Harry, who is sort of from broken home life, maybe help the people that slip through the cracks or something. But the heart of this story is just completely empty. It's Scooby-Doo. It's I would have gotten away with it if it weren't for you meddling kids. Like, that's literally what happens at the end of this book. But the more interesting question to me is why Harry and the gang were so possessed to stop this guy and protect the stone. What is it that is underlying that need to maintain this institutional status quo? What did they think was there to gain from it? And that question, when you ask that question, you start to poke at the underlying processes of Hogwarts as a totalizing institution... But that aspect of the book, literally the only important aspect of the book, from where I'm standing, doesn't even get explored at all. Not a page dedicated to that question. And so interestingly, I think, the lack of that question becomes the appeal of the book. This book promises not to challenge your ideological assumptions. It is designed merely to comfort you. It presents you with a world of incredible complexity, rife with moral questions and subjectivity. And then it says... You don't need to worry about any of that stuff, because at the heart, it's just Scooby-Doo. 
And so maybe that's the irony. The irony is that I'm trying to understand Harry Potter, but there isn't anything to understand. It is devoid of meaningful content. The world is complex until it isn't. Don't worry about it. Do what you're led to do. Follow. Conform. Everything will be okay. You're one of the good ones. Growing up is just a metonym for giving into the system. And that is the essential message of this book. Alright, I'll see you for the second book.